Section 16 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Section 16 Masters and Men, Part 1 this section begins with four quotations the sweat of industry would dry and die but for the end it worked to shakespeare man is a shop of rules a well-trussed pack whose every parcel underwrites a law george Abair. care preserves what industry gains he who attends to his business diligently but not carefully throws away with one hand what he gathers with the other colton the acquisition of property the accumulation of capital is already in the power of the better paid working class the legislation has but few further facilities to give or obstacles to remove their savings are now so large that only soberer habits and rounder sense are needed to make them independent capitalists in less than half a lifetime w r gregg employers can do a great deal towards promoting habits of thrift prudence and sobriety amongst their work people though the working man does not like to be patronized he has no objections to being helped we have already seen that individuals can do much they can cultivate habits of economy and lay by a certain portion of their earnings for help in time of need but they want encouragement and assistance they want sympathy they want help if masters fully understood the immense amount of influence which they possess they would extend their sympathy and confidence to their workmen which would cost them so very little and profit them so very much we know of no instance where an employer has displayed a concern for the social well-being and improvement of his workmen in which he has not been repaid by their increased respect and zeal on his behalf he may for instance arrange that wages shall not be paid so as to drive them into the market late on saturday nights when they are often under the necessity of making their weekly purchases at a great disadvantage of course workmen who possess a little store of savings might make their purchases at greater advantage at any other time the employer might also avoid paying wages in public houses and thus keep his workmen out of the way of incurring an expenditure upon drink that might prove so hurtful but masters can do more than this they can actively aid their workmen in the formation of prudent habits by establishing savings banks for men and women and penny banks for boys and girls by encouraging the formation of provident clubs and building societies of provision and clothing clubs and in many other ways they might also distribute among them without any officious interference good counsel as to the manner in which they might make the best use of their wages many large employers have already accomplished much practical good by encouraging the formation of provident institutions in which they have never failed to secure the respect and generally the cooperation of their workmen at the same time there is much want of sympathy between masters and men 
in fact want of sympathy pervades all classes the poorer the working the middle and the upper classes there are many social gaps between them which cannot yet be crossed which cannot yet be united if i were to be asked said judge talford on whom death was at the moment laying his hand what is the great want of english society to mingle class with class i would say in one word the want is the want of sympathy a great truth but not yet appreciated it is the old truth on which christianity is based of love one another simple saying but containing within it a gospel sufficient to renovate the world but where men are so split and divided into classes and are so far removed that they can scarcely be said to know one another they cannot have a due social regard and consideration much less a genuine sympathy and affection for each other charity cannot remedy the evil giving money blankets coal and such like to the poor where the spirit of sympathy is wanting does not amount to much the charity of most of the lord and lady bountiful begins with money and ends there the fellow-feeling is absent the poor are not dealt with as if they belonged to the same common family of man or as if the same human heart beats in their breasts masters and servants live in the same unsympathetic state each for himself is their motto i don't care who sinks so that i swim a man at an inn was roused from his slumber there is a fire at the bottom of the street said the waiter don't disturb me said the traveller until the next house is burning an employer said to his hands you try to get all you can out of me and i try to get all i can out of you but this will never do the man who has any sympathy in him cannot allow such considerations to overrule his better nature he must see the brighter side of humanity ever turned towards him always to think the worst said lord bolingbroke i have ever found the mark of a mean spirit and a base soul on the other hand the operative class consider their interests to be quite distinct from those of the master class they want to get as much for their labor as possible they want labor to be dear that they may secure high wages thus there being no mutual sympathy nor friendly feeling between the two classes but only money considerations collisions are frequent and strikes occur both classes backed by their fellows determined to fight it out and hence we have such destructive strikes as those of preston newcastle london and south wales the great end of both is gain worldly gain which sometimes involves a terrible financial loss a general suspicion of each other spreads and society becomes cankered to the core the remedy is only to be found in the cherishment of a larger christian sympathy and more genuine benevolence thus only can the breath of society be sweetened and purified money gifts avail nothing as between rich and poor unless there is a soul of goodness and a real human fellowship between them the mischief and the curse which the excellent judge talford lamented with his dying breath will never be overcome some allege that this want of sympathy arises for the most part from the evils of competition it is heartless selfish mischievous ruinous and so on it is said to produce misery and poverty to the million 
it is charged with lowering prices are almost in the same breath with raising them competition has a broad back and can bear any amount of burdens and yet there is something to be said for competition as well as against it it is a struggle that must be admitted all life is a struggle amongst workmen competition is a struggle to advance towards higher wages amongst masters to make the highest profits amongst writers preachers and politicians it is the struggle to succeed to gain glory reputation or income like everything human it has a mixture of evil in it if one man prospers more than others or if some classes of men prosper more than others they leave other classes of men behind them not that they leave those others worse but that they themselves advance put a stop to competition and you merely check the progress of individuals and of classes you preserve a dead uniform level you stereotype society and its several orders and conditions the motive for emulation is taken away and caste with all its mischiefs is perpetuated stop competition and you stop the struggle of individualism you also stop the advancement of individualism and through that of society at large under competition the lazy man is put under the necessity of exerting himself and if he will not exert himself he must fall behind if he do not work neither shall he eat my lazy friend you must not look to me to do my share of the world's work and yours too you must do your own fair share of work save your own money and not look to me and to others to keep you out of the poor house there is enough for all but do your own share of work you must success grows out of struggle to overcome difficulties if there were no difficulties there would be no success if there were nothing to struggle or compete for there would be nothing achieved it is well therefore that men should be under the necessity of exerting themselves in this necessity for exertion we find the chief source of human advancement the advancement of individuals as of nations it has led to most of the splendid mechanical inventions and improvements of the age it has stimulated the shipbuilder the merchant the manufacturer the machinist the tradesman the skilled workman in all departments of productive industry it has been the moving power it has developed the resources of this and of other countries the resources of the soil and the character and qualities of the men who dwell upon it it seems to be absolutely necessary for the purpose of stimulating the growth and culture of every individual it is deeply rooted in man leading him ever to seek after and endeavor to realize something better and higher than he has yet attained of course man is much more than a competing being that is only one of his characteristics and not the highest or noblest he has sensibilities sympathies and aspirations which should induce him to unite and cooperate with others in works for the common good with unfettered individualism there may and there ought to be beneficent cooperation for the general happiness men may unite to labor to produce and to share with each other the fruits of their corporate industry but under any circumstance there will be the instinct of competition the opportunities for competition and though mixed with necessary evil there will be the ultimate advantages of competition 
one of the results of industry and thrift is the accumulation of capital capital represents the self-denial the providence and the enterprise of the past the most successful accumulators of capital have in all times risen from the ranks of labor itself they are working men who have shot ahead of their fellows and who now give employment instead of receiving it these persons who are not the less working men because they have ceased to be manual laborers by creating and extending the sphere of productive industry must be regarded as amongst the most effective benefactors of the people as they unquestionably are among the principal sources of the power and wealth of any nation without the capital accumulated by their thrift during many generations the lot of the artisan would be most precarious there is not a mechanic but has the use of the money of the master who employs him when the unskilled laborer lays down his spade he leaves idle a capital worth eighteen pence but when a skilled artisan or mechanic leaves his mill or his workshop he leaves idle a capital of from a hundred to two hundred pounds per man nor does the skilled workman run any risk whatever as regards the sums invested though he virtually shares the profits in the shape of the wages paid for his labor the profit which remains is the master's return for his management and his risks it is well known however that the risks are not always covered as the gazette in bad times abundantly demonstrates the workman in good employment is not liable to losses by bad debts he has no obsolete machinery from time to time left useless on his hands and he has no anxiety about finding a market for his goods nor fears respecting fluctuations in the price of the raw material these are important advantages in his favor which he does not usually take into account it is true he suffers if trade is bad but he earns high wages if it be good he can then save money if he chooses to do so he may be said to participate in the adversity or prosperity of his firm but without incurring any of the liabilities of partnership mr carlyle has given a curious account of the great english manufacturer quote, plugson of st dolly undershot buccaneer like says to his men noble spinners this is the hundred thousand we have gained wherein i mean to dwell and plant my vineyards a hundred thousand is mine and three and sixpence daily was yours adieu noble spinners drink my health with this groat each which i give you over and above this account of the manufacturing buccaneer is a picture drawn by a man of genius from his imagination there are probably many readers who believe the picture to be drawn from fact there may of course be masters who are buccaneers but there are also masters who are not buccaneers there are dishonest manufacturers as there are dishonest literary men dishonest publicans dishonest tradesmen but we must believe that in all occupations honesty is the rule and dishonesty the exception at all events it is better that we should know what the manufacturers really are from fact rather than from fiction let us first take a large manufacturing firm or rather a series of firms well known in south lancashire we mean the cotton spinning mills of the misters ashworth at edgerton and new eagerly 
they have been in existence for more than seventy years they have been repeatedly enlarged and increasing numbers of workpeople have been employed at the uniform wages paid throughout the district workmen earn from seventeen shillings to two pounds a week women weavers can earn as much as twenty-one shillings a week where the parents have children the united earnings of the families amount to as much as from a hundred and fifty to two hundred pounds a year then as to what the ashworths have done for the benefit of their workpeople schooling by means of mutual instruction classes was in operation from the first but about the year eighteen twenty five when the works were greatly enlarged and the population was considerably increased a day school was opened for children which was used as an evening school for young men as well as for a sunday school the continued extension of the works led to an enlargement of the school accommodation and while this was being provided arrangements were made for a newsroom library and for the performance of divine worship on sundays a cricket ground was also provided for the use of young people misgivings were not unfrequently expressed that the zeal and expenditure incurred by the misters ashworth might one day be turned against them to their annoyance and pecuniary loss the prediction was realized in only a single instance a young man of considerable talent who when a child had been removed to the factory from a neighboring workhouse made very rapid progress at school especially in arithmetic and when a strike of the workpeople occurred in eighteen thirty one of the great strike years he became very officious as a leader the strike was defeated by the employment of new hands and it was attributed to the influence of this young man that the employed were brutally assailed by an infuriated mob and that the windows of the schoolroom were smashed and other works of destruction committed the employers nevertheless pursued their original design they repaired the schoolhouse and endeavored to increase the efficacy of the teaching they believed that nothing was better calculated to remove ignorant infatuation than increased schooling in a great many instances the heads of the families had previously been engaged as hand-loom weavers or in some pastoral pursuit and it became evident that in course of time the exercise of their minds in the details of a new pursuit awakened their intelligence and their general demeanor indicated marks of a higher cultivation the new eagley mills being situated in a narrow valley several miles from bolton and the property being in the possession of the owners they forbade the opening of any tavern or beer-house on the estate so that the district became distinguished for the order and sobriety of the inhabitants a man of intemperate habits has little chance of remaining in the ashworth villages he is expelled not by the employers but by the men themselves he must conform to the sober habits of the place or decamp to some larger town where his vices may be hidden in the crowd many of the parents have expressed how much gratification they have felt that by reason of the isolated situation they enjoyed as a community they had become so completely separated from the corrupt influences of music salons and drink shops the masters have added to their other obligations to the work people the erection of comfortable cottages for their accommodation 
they are built of stone and are two-storied some have two upper bedrooms and others have three on the ground floor there is a sitting-room a living-room and a scullery with a walled courtyard enclosing the whole premises the proprietor pays the poor rates and other local charges and the rentals of the houses vary from two shillings fourpence to four shillings threepence a week the regularity of their employment accompanied with the payment of wages on friday night doubtless promoted their local attachment to the place many of the descendants of the first comers remain on the spot their social relations have been promoted intermarriages have been frequent and during the whole period there has not been a single prosecution for theft the working people have also thriven as well as their masters great numbers of them are known to possess reserved funds in savings banks and other depositories for savings and there are others of them who have invested their money in cottage buildings and in various other ways but have not men risen above their lot of laboring spinners they have such of them as possessed skill ability and the faculty of organization have been promoted from the ranks of laborers and have become mill managers about thirty of these says mr henry ashworth have been reckoned on the spur of the moment and ten of them have become business partners or proprietors of mills many manufacturers adds mr ashworth are to be found who have done a great deal to ameliorate the condition of those they have employed and no one will doubt that they have been prompted not by hopes of gain but by emotions of good will manufacturers such as these do not like plugson of st dolly undershot gather up their fortunes and run away leaving a groat each to their workpeople to drink their healths they remain with them from generation to generation the best and the noblest among them the ashworths of turton the struts of derby the marshals of leeds the ackroyds of halifax the brooks of huddersfield and many others have continued to superintend their works for several generations the struts were the partners of arkwright in fact it is only since arkwright took out his patent for the spinning machine and watt took out his patent for the steam engine that england has become a manufacturing country where would england have been now but for the energy enterprise and public spirit of our manufacturers could agriculture have supported the continuous increase of population is it not more probable that this country would have become overrun by beggars or that property would have been assailed and the constitution upset as was the case in france but for the extensive and remunerative employment afforded to the laboring classes in the manufacturing districts the steam engine has indeed proved the safety valve of england it enabled the kingdom to hold its ground firmly during the continental wars and but for it and the industries which it has established england would probably by this time have sunk to the condition of a third or fourth-rate power it is true the great manufacturers have become wealthy but it would certainly have been singular if with their industry energy and powers of organization they had become poor men of the stamp of the struts ashworths marshalls and others do not work for wealth merely though wealth comes to them they have not become great because they were rich but they have become rich because they were great 
accumulations of wealth are the result of exceptional industry organization and thrift rather than of exceptional gain adam smith has said it seldom happens that great fortunes are made by any one regularly established and well-known branch of business but in consequence of a long life of industry frugality and attention but it was not always so for instance mr lister of bradford after inventing the combing machine or at least combining the inventions of others into a complete combing machine of his own proceeded to invent a machine for using up silk waste then cast away as useless spinning it into silk of the finest kind and by means of the power loom to weave it into velvet of the best quality the attempt had never before been made by any inventor and it seemed to be of insuperable difficulty mr lister had already made a fortune by the success of his combing machine such as to enable him to retire from business and live in comfort for the rest of his life but urged by the irrepressible spirit of the inventor he went onward with his silk machine as he himself said at a recent meeting at bradford they might judge how hard he had worked to conquer the difficulties which beset him when he told them that for twenty years he had never been in bed at half-past five in the morning in fact he did not think there was a man in england who had worked harder than he had the most remarkable thing was that he threw away an immense fortune before there was any probability of his succeeding he had almost brought himself to ruin for he was three hundred and sixty thousand pounds out of pocket before he even made a shilling by his machine indeed he wrote off a quarter of a million as entirely lost before he began to make up his books again since then his patent for the manufacture of silk had turned out one of the most successful of the day in the park presented by mr lister to the people of bradford a statue was recently erected by public subscription it was unveiled by the right honorable w e forrester who in closing his speech observed quote, i doubt after all whether we are come here to do honor to mr lister so much as to do honor to ourselves we wish to do honor to those working faculties which have made our country of england a practical and therefore a great and prosperous and a powerful country it is this untiring unresting industry which mr lister possesses this practical understanding this determination to carry out any object which he is convinced ought to be carried out and his determination to fear no opposition and to care for no obstacle it is these practical faculties that have made england what she is what is it especially that we are honoring it is the pluck which this man has shown it is the feeling that having to do with the worsted trade he said to himself here is something which ought to be done i will not rest until i have found out how it can be done and having found out how it can be done where is the man who shall stop my doing it End quote now it was upon that principle that he fought his long struggle and so when we read the story of his struggles ever since eighteen forty two in those two great inventions we raise this statue to the man who has successfully fought the battle and hope that our sons and the sons of all rich and poor together will come in after days to admire it not merely because it gives them the form and features of a rich and successful man 
but because it gives them the form and features of a man who was endowed with industry with intellect with energy with courage with perseverance who spared himself no pains in first ascertaining the conditions of the problems he had to solve and then whose heart never fainted whose will never relaxed in determining to carry out those conditions End End of section 16, Men and Masters, part 1.